Hey, good morning. So good to be with you guys this morning. Um, this morning, I want to read this call to worship to our hearts. It's from Colossians 1, 15 through 18. This is about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So this is who we're worshiping today. This is our God. We have a reason to sing to him, to worship him. So let's join together wherever you're at. Let's sing together this morning. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss As the Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders and ashamed I hear my mocking scoffers why it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life and I know that it is can be sure of this it's finished indeed it's finished oh you see this finished oh so I will not boast in anything no gifts no power no what are we boasting? But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. And why should I gain from His reward? Why can't I give the answer? But this I know. have paid my ransom why and why should I came from his reward why can't I give an answer but this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom yes I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Man, and if we were all in one room, I just feel like we should just applaud Him. Maybe you just want to applaud Him together with your family. His wounds have paid our ransom. That's true. It's really good news for us. 
What we're going to do just for a minute is we're going to take time to just really flesh that out. What does that mean? We are, we are sinners who needed a Savior, and that's what Jesus did. He was wounded for our transgressions, for our sin, to save us. So we're going to take time to confess out loud together, remembering him, remembering us, that we needed him. So let's just do that. The words will be on the screen. We'll start together. Have mercy on us, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. And we confess we have done what is evil in your sight. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But in repentance, we come to you and cry out together. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquities and cleanse us from our sins. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Yes, God, do that. And friends, let's just take a minute. This is the good news. This is the truth. So let's hear this with our hearts, not just our ears, but right now let your heart receive this. The great news of the gospel this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can be assured that you've been washed whiter than snow. Your sins are remembered no more. He has removed your dead heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh alive to follow him. He has put a new spirit in you and has promised never to cast you out of his presence. He offers you unshakable joy from now into eternity so that even in suffering you can rejoice. With longing for his returning, let us earnestly pray this together. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. He's so worthy of this. Let's sing to him with every breath we have. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. He's worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. And he's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, help us God, help us. It's Jesus' name above every other name, yeah. And it's Jesus the only one that could ever save. And he's worthy of every breath could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you let's declare who he is you holy there is no one like you there is none beside you come open up my eyes and wonder and show powerful name Jesus Jesus a name above every other name we declare that it's Jesus the only one who could ever say and he's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you to live for you 
help us build our lives on you nowhere else and i will build my life upon you Bryce, come and lead us through our time of intercession this morning. Good morning, church. It's good to be here again with you this morning as we continue to gather online. And as great as this technology is, I look forward to the day when we can finally uh, get back together in person and just uh, see all of you again face to face. And with the lifting of some of the restrictions recently on churches, it seems like that day may be sooner than later, but <clears throat> there's still also a lot of uncertainty around all of this, and there are businesses and groups that are still under the restrictions. So churches have uh, kind of a tricky road ahead to navigate in what steps to take going forward. So we're just going to come to God this morning and ask him for wisdom and discernment for our church leaders. Uh, God, we come before you this morning, first and foremost, knowing that you are good and that you are steadfast. And when we face these times of uncertainty, we have you to rely on as our solid rock, and I am so thankful for that, God. Um, we, we just want to know what lies ahead and how and when all of this is going to end. But we don't, we can't, Lord. Only you know the end from the beginning. And so we come to you and seek your wisdom. <clears throat> Got it. It's my prayer that you would uh, give wisdom and clarity and discernment to our church leaders in making these decisions on, on what steps we need to be taking going forward. And uh, Lord, I know there are a lot of different opinions that people have as to what these steps should look like. And regardless of what direction the church takes, I pray that, that there wouldn't be division or um, strife or bitterness over um, these decisions, but instead, God, that that we would be unified and united in our need for you, God. That's one thing that, that maybe we can take from all of this is that it's a reminder that we need you, God. We are frail and we can't do this on our own. Um, <clears throat> God, I know that there, there's still a lot of suffering uh, going on and regardless of the, the decisions uh, going forward, there probably will continue to be suffering. Um, whether it's uh, through health and the virus or 
um, financially or spiritually or emotionally. There, there is just a lot going on right now, and um, I know that you use times of suffering and and uh, trials to draw people closer to you, God. And I pray that this would be no different. That maybe some of the people that are suffering the most right now would actually stand to gain the most in being drawn to you, um, whether it's for the first time or just a, a renewed faith in you, God. Um, time will go on, decisions will be made, God, and I pray that, that, again, that you just give wisdom and clarity to the leaders of this church as they um, decide what direction and path we're gonna take forward. Um, ultimately, Lord, I pray that their motivation and uh, motive through these decisions is to to seek you, uh, seek your face, and to glorify you, God. Um, we uh, thank you for um, just being steadfast and the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, we just we love you, Jesus, and this is all in your name. We pray, Amen. Well, thank you, Bryce. We're really glad that um, you guys are here with us this morning. Just as Jesus has welcomed us, he came towards us. He, of all people, could have stayed where he was, rightly so, but he humbled himself and came towards us. So though we're not sitting in the same room with each other, let's go towards each other in the chat right now and um, just say where you're at, who you're with, and greet each other. And in just a second, we'll have Kaylin um, to do our giving and announcement time. All right. Good morning, church. Um, for those that don't know me, my name's Kaylin. I'm joining you all from Mingo with my family. Um, we've been worshiping the Lord through the songs of our hearts, and we're now going to continue to worship him through giving. If you're a guest this morning, we want you to know there's no pressure to give. We're just really glad that you're here. For those of us who are Christians and are committed to this church, God calls us to give sacrificially and generously. Um, when asked to share a little of our heart for why we personally give sacrificially, my mind goes straight to the widow's offering. In Luke 21, one through four, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. There's definitely a heart check there from Jesus. Am I giving out of my abundance or my poverty? And also, um, it's about furthering God's kingdom, advancing the gospel, and seeing lives changed right here in our own community. We're seeing ways in our community that as a church, we can really step in to care about people physically and spiritually. You can give online, and there'll be links in the chat area. And also, know you can continue to give physically if you like to mail in checks. You can find the address at the bottom of the website. All right, let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask that you humble our hearts right now before you. All we have is yours that you've so graciously given to us. Forgive us for holding so tightly to the things of this world. Help us to be a people who give generously and with joyful hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for softening our hearts to hear your truth. Thank you for this church and this body of believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, our first announcement this morning is for VBS. We've talked about it the last few weeks. We are partnering with the Collins Christian Church to host VBS for our community this summer. Though the dates are not sure yet, we're still looking to see who'd be interested to serve. If that is something you'd be interested in, email madison at sacredmission.church to let her know. We also want to remind you that we have sermon notes just for the kids out there to follow along as Pastor Tim preaches. We'll post that link right now in the chat section for you to print them out. We have a great opportunity to serve our community this week. The town of Collins has received a substantial grant to buy food from local restaurants for people in our community. You may have received a questionnaire from Collins in the mail. Residents can select to either pick up food from the community center or have it delivered from five to seven on Thursday. Please email contact at sacredmission.church if you'd like to be part of picking up the food, getting the food ready for pickup or delivering the food on Thursdays. You might remember the scripture journals we had as we studied Ephesians. We are excited to announce we have scripture journals for our study through the book of Daniel. If you would like one, please send an email to contact at sacredmission.church with the number of scripture journals you would like and make a $5 donation for each journal on our website. 
If finances are an issue, please let us know and we would love to get you one. We will either drop your journal at your house or mail it to you. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Tim now for our last announcement. Good morning. Thank you, Kaylin, so much. Uh, it is good to be gathered together. Uh, one more important announcement that we have for this morning um, is that we've been in talks with the leadership of the Collins Maxwell uh, School District, and they are comfortable with us coming back into the building and meeting in person. And so what the current plan is, um, man, there's a lot of things that could happen that to have this plan be adjusted, but what the current plan is, is that we will have our first service back in the elementary school on May 17th, uh, as coming up soon. So on May 17th, our plan is to be back together. Um, although we plan to come together on May 17th, it's going to look a lot different than it used to look uh, as we step into this. So one big thing is that we're not going to have kids' church on Sunday morning in the building. Um, we're only going to be utilizing the sanctuary for the month of May, so the rest of the building will be closed, but, but we'll be utilizing the sanctuary. So what that means is that the plan is, is that we're gonna continue our kids' church live online at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. So Madison's been doing a great job leading us into that, leading our kids into that. So whether you plan to come in person uh, on Sunday morning, online at 9 a.m. is where our kids will be gathering. Um, and then uh, we also plan to continue to have our service live online. And so uh, we are going to be running that through with the school, testing that out a bunch over the next couple weeks. But what we plan to do is be able to have our service live online on May 17th at 10 a.m., just like we have been doing. And so uh, for the month of May, maybe longer, what the way that we're just going to think about it is that we are one church meeting in two locations, either meeting in person at the elementary school or meeting online at 10 a.m. So one church meeting in a couple locations, and online it'll be just like always, sacredmission.online.church. Um, for those who choose to come in person, what we're going to do is we're going to set up the sanctuary with just a lot more space in between the rows. Um, we're also going to encourage people not to shake hands, not to hug. It's going to be really tempting. We haven't seen each other for a long time, uh, to, but we want to really be careful. We want to be above reproach as we ease into this. Uh, we won't pass any offering buckets. Uh, we're going to wait to serve communion for at least a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to have coffee and tea, uh, but we're, we're going to actually have somebody wearing gloves that is actually pumping the coffee and stuff just practically and serving those to people. We're just trying to think of everything that we can to make that as safe as a time for everybody who's choosing to come together. Uh, we do want to just make it explicit. Uh, I think probably the, the way that it used to be was that if you had a, a kid that was sick or something like that, a lot of times like one of the uh, one of the parents would stay home and then kind of the rest of the family would come to church. And we just really want to encourage anybody that if it's been a week since anyone's been sick over the last week uh, or had a fever, uh, to just gather with us online. I mean, this is going to be the huge benefit of us continuing to have our online services too. If you've recently been around someone who's tested positive, if you have a compromised immune system and you're not comfortable getting together in person, or if just there's any reason that you'd prefer not to be gathering in person, or your conscience isn't clear about meeting yet on May 17th, I really would encourage you to obey your conscience and join us, gather with us online uh, as, we, as we worship the Lord together. We're going to keep the length of our services the same. And uh, I, I just encourage all of us, I know we will, but let's just show a ton of grace towards each other uh, as we move back into this and uh, make sure we're receiving the happenings email too. We're going to give a lot more details, and if anything changes or is adjusted, uh, we'll communicate that through that as well. But uh, it'll be exciting as we move into this next season starting May 17th. Uh, last week, we were in the first half of Daniel chapter 2. If you missed that, please uh, check that out on our website under our sermon section. This week, Daniel finally 
tells Nebuchadnezzar, it was great talking to some people this week, who was like, I can't wait to hear what the dream is. And I was like, well, you could read ahead. And they're like, no, I want to I wanna wait and hear it. And so here it is. Daniel finally tells Nebuchadnezzar this dream and its interpretation. We're in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Daniel says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs were of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image and its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Verse 35, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This could be this image, this great image. It could be a statue, uh, but this could be a lot more literal with the wording that Daniel uses here. He possibly could have seen a man. Like in his dream, Nebuchadnezzar could have seen a man. The the language allows for that. Uh, It was mighty, bright, and frightening. It, imagine how hardened Nebuchadnezzar is by war, how hardened Nebuchadnezzar has become. And for him to see something that frightens him in a dream, uh, you know, let's not in our mind's eye think of this as just a, a very, um, just like a statue, but instead like really allow ourselves to picture this man and how frightening he must have been and uh, all these different parts that were making up this man. So this man, a, a statue or an actual man, had a body, Daniel describes in a dream, of four different substances. Its head is gold, its chest and arms are silver, the middle of the body and the thighs are bronze, then the legs are iron and its feet are partly of iron and partly of clay. And this is like just so tormented Nebuchadnezzar and and his spirit was troubled, remember, and he sought anybody that he could in his kingdom and was willing to kill all of the wise people in the kingdom if they were not able to reveal this image that was haunting him. Then there's a stone. (laughs) The stone comes from no human hand and it strikes specifically, it's not just like randomly thrown, it specifically strikes the feet or the iron and the clay. And even though just the feet are struck in this dream, the entire body falls apart and is broken in pieces. And let's not miss that that it's just not breaking them in pieces though, but then as kind of only dreams can do, it then like just disintegrates. And it then is like chaff of the summer fleshing or threshing floors. It becomes like dust. And then the wind actually just blows it all away. And everything that was composed in this man is now just gone. You can't even find a speck of it. It's all gone. But the stone that was struck, that struck the feet, it became this great mountain in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and it filled the whole earth. And Daniel seems in here to be really matter-of-fact about this dream. In verse 36, he's also very matter-of-fact. Daniel says in verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation. Is that interesting? Like, he's just like, there was, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Daniel says that was the dream. Its interpretation is coming. And one thing that I think is like really noticeable here is that after the, the dream, Daniel isn't like, was I right? Did I get it right? Is that what your dream was? Like Daniel doesn't, Daniel says, that was your dream. And then what's also like 
really noticeable is Nebuchadnezzar says nothing. He's not like, you were right. He, we can only see here that the silence is deafening, that Nebuchadnezzar gives no response. Uh, possibly he's just absolutely speechless. Maybe it's just that moment where like something special is happening that requires no words, and he is just in the moment with Daniel, recognizing that this is a man standing in front of me that is so confident, that is reading my mail, is able to tell me exactly the dream as I saw it that troubled me. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't need to confirm to Daniel when Daniel's hearing from God. Now, verse 37, the interpretation of this dream begins. Verse 37 of chapter 2. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the, of heaven, of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Daniel is both really honoring to his king Nebuchadnezzar here um, in, in the things that he said to Nebuchadnezzar, and it seems like a formal way that kings were addressed in Babylon, um, and he is following that formality. He's really accurate in, his, in his, uh, the way he is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's also incredibly accurate about his greater king and is not afraid to speak truth to power. Daniel has no problem speaking truth to power when he is speaking here to Nebuchadnezzar. He isn't doing it in spite. He's doing it to serve him, to serve him with truth, letting Nebuchadnezzar know that know God more clearly, to let him know that Nebuchadnezzar, who may think he's the most powerful person on the planet, that is actually the God of heaven who has allowed all of this to happen in his life, in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar could look to was given to him by the hand of the God of heaven. And Daniel's making that crystal clear on the front end of this interpretation. And then he very clearly says, the head of gold is you. If you're wondering how you fit in all of this dream, where you fit in all this dream is you are the head of gold. Um, most people believe that it's speaking generally of the Babylonian empire, but specifically to Nebuchadnezzar in this moment. He is the head of gold. So what does the rest, like he's the head of gold. What does the rest of the body stand for? Daniel goes into that starting in verse 39. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so, his interpretation, the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. So he's interpreting and showing Nebuchadnezzar that this man stands for these four different kingdoms. The chest and the arms of silver refer, Daniel tells him, to an inferior kingdom that's going to arise on the on the the heels of Babylon. And then the next kingdom will end and a third kingdom, which was the middle and thighs of bronze in the dream, and it will then rule over all the earth. Daniel then interprets that the legs of iron in the dream is a fourth kingdom that's very strong and it's gonna crush the third kingdom. Daniel's giving this interpretation, so important to realize, Daniel is giving this interpretation in the late 500s B.C., in the late 500s BC, uh, potentially even earlier than that, but Daniel is giving this interpretation. And we can accurately, very accurately know, looking back through history, what 
are these kingdoms that are in the dream. The second kingdom, the chess and the arms of silver, uh, appear to be the Medo Persian Empire. This empire conquered Babylon in 539 BC. The empire reached its largest extent during the reign of Darius, who actually, it, we're going to see, he plays a part in the book of Daniel. Um, then the third kingdom of bronze is the Greek Empire, which conquered the Persians in 331 BC. The Greeks truly did, as this passage says, as the dream shows, the Greeks truly did rule over all the earth through the victories of Alexander the Great. And uh, Alexander the Great is said to have wept while he was in his 20s. He wept while he's in his 20s because there were no more lands for him to conquer. He had conquered them all. Then the legs of iron, the fourth kingdom, is the Roman Empire, which defeated the Greeks at the Battle of Corinth in 146 BC. The fourth kingdom gets the most detail here in the dream, and it's seen as being an amazingly strong, which we can attest to, but it's seen as being an amazingly strong and enduring kingdom, but also was mixed with soft clay, which made it partly strong and partly brittle. Then the interpretation goes to the obvious huge question, what is the stone that comes out here from no human hand, yet hits the feet and brings the entire image to be destroyed, uh, then turned into dust. So now Daniel gets to the most crucial, the most important parts of the interpretation, starting in verse 44. And in those days, in, in the days of those kings, the kings of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. In the days of those kings, the kings of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. I mean, picture Daniel in the palace of Babylon in late 500s BC, telling Nebuchadnezzar of this dream that bothered him so much and saying, during this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, God is going to set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. He's just told Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom's going to be destroyed. And then the next one, the next one, the next one. Nor, uh, continuing in 44 there, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. <laughs> God himself will set up this kingdom and it will never end. It shall never be destroyed it will never be left to another people. The baton will never be passed. It will break in pieces all previous kingdoms. Bring them to an end, and it will stand forever. In the dream, we saw the stone became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. Daniel has just looked Nebuchadnezzar eyeball to eyeball, Nebuchadnezzar believes he is the king of the mountain. And Daniel just told him through this dream that there'll actually come four other kingdoms and those kings will think the same thing. That they're the best, they're the most elite, that no one can conquer them. And one by one, but then the one will come during the Roman Empire and he will destroy all kingdoms that have ever been built apart from God. God himself will set up a kingdom that will never be, be destroyed. It will last forever and truly be a mountain that fills the entire earth. Nebuchadnezzar isn't told here who that king is. He's told of the king and of the kingdom, but he's not told specifically who the king is, who will reign, and that his reign will never end. Then Daniel wraps up the interpretation of the dream by telling Nebuchadnezzar in verse 45, check out verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to you. A great God has been made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation, sure. <laughs> 
I love that Daniel is like, hey, I've just interpreted your dream, but let me actually draw your attention to a great God who has made known to the king what is going to be after this. Daniel is directing Nebuchadnezzar to be thinking more about the great God than about this great interpretation of a dream. The great God is revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. The dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. There is clarity. There is boldness in God speaking through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. And and man, this is the same God today with the boldness that we can have for the things that have been shown to us and revealed to us in uncertain, fearful, troubled in spirit times and um How does Nebuchadnezzar respond in the middle of this? Look at verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. He paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar speaks so highly of Daniel's God who reveals mysteries who's been able to show him the dream, give the interpretation for what the dream means. The king honors Daniel. He gives Daniel a high position in the leadership of Babylon. Daniel thinks of his companions. He requests to the king that if it would honor, and if the king would so so desire it, that he may honor his companions too, which the king does. Daniel remains at the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is incredible. The interpretation of the dream is staggering, yet I think Nebuchadnezzar just misses the point. And we're going to see this next week in chapter 3, that um, Daniel just told Nebuchadnezzar that this image from his dream of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, it represents these four incredible empires of human history. He plays a role in that in being the head of gold. And then there's a stone that is going to, of God's hand, that's going to strike this image. It's going to break everything apart. It's going to not even, you won't, won't even be able to see a, a, just a one little piece of any of these kingdoms. The stone becomes this amazing mountain of God's kingdom. It spreads across the entire world. Kingdom will never end. The king will never be overthrown or defeated And man, I think Nebuchadnezzar should have been like so humbled to realize like, man, all of that is going to happen. That type of a king, I know how awesome I am, but that type of a king is going to come. You know, as the psalmist said, like he could have maybe humbled himself where he's like, maybe, maybe just one door, one day as a doorkeeper in the courts of that kingdom would be greater than a thousand days elsewhere. Like Nebuchadnezzar could have gone there. Nebuchadnezzar seems instead to just let like all of the staggering truth bounce off of him. If I could paraphrase Nebuchadnezzar's response, I think it would be, hey kid, that's super cool that you have that type of a God. What's next? And he just seems to be glad that his dream is no longer bothering him and he seems to go on. God would have to humble Nebuchadnezzar far more as we're going to be walking into for Nebuchadnezzar to finally realize he needs to get serious with this God who is pursuing him and won't stop pursuing him for his good. Um, So far, though, Nebuchadnezzar is no closer to God after Daniel revealing his dream in the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is no closer to God. He doesn't take the stone seriously. He will later in this book, but for now, he just totally ignores that. He doesn't mention the kingdom. He doesn't mention the stone that's coming. And uh, man, for us, like, let's not ignore 
the huge part of the interpretation. Let's not ignore the stone in this dream, the true king and the kingdom that is being established. 400 years before this, we might think like, wow, that was a long time ago, late 500s BC. 400 years before this, around 1000 BC, a king named David sat down and we believe he wrote Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, he prophesied this king that is coming. And he actually wrote verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And uh, man, to really bring it home to us, and we actually uh, preached part of this through the parable of the tenants uh, on March 29th. Uh, then um, at the end of Jesus preaching through the parable of the tenants, he actually quotes this to make it so clear to everybody that that is him. He is the stone that is mentioned in Daniel's, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that's mentioned in Psalm 118. He quotes Psalm 118 again in Matthew 21, starting in verse 42, to make it crystal clear, this is me. I am the great king that is coming, establishing a kingdom that is far greater, more spectacular, and will never end. This risen King Jesus, the stone that becomes this mountain, is the one whom scripture says elsewhere, God has highly exalted, at whose name every knee will one day bow in submission. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us, this is the one whose eyes are like a flame a fire, whose voice is like the roar of many waters, scripture tells us, and who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and whose face is like the strength of the sun shining in full strength, Revelation 1, 14 through 16 tells us. In other words, he is so unspeakably brilliant, and his power cannot adequately be captured with words. He's so magnificent that all language dies away before trying to explore all of his splendor. His reign never ends The head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, is a prideful king who demands allegiance. He's full of threats. He spreads violence wherever he finds opposition. He's demanding to be served and worshiped and punishes people who don't. All of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is to show how vastly superior Jesus and his kingdom is to this kingdom and all other kingdoms. So a person could assume You could potentially assume if this king is that much more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, maybe he is more prideful than Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he is more violent than Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he's more removed from ordinary people than even Nebuchadnezzar was removed in his palace from ordinary people. And thankfully, this isn't isn't the king. This isn't the true king. The king of all kings, the everlasting king, Jesus. However, the way he describes himself, the way that he lets us know what it's like to be a part of his kingdom, thankfully for 20 years since he opened my eyes to him, I gave my life to him, I've been following him um, for a a little over 20 years now, I would say that... um, The way he describes himself in Matthew 11, I've found to be true as well. Look how he describes his heart and what it's like in his kingdom. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That describes his the way that his heart is towards us is gentle and lowly in heart. He stoops to us. That's just who he is. That's just how he is. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My question for all of us is, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was just that, and he just walked away as if that didn't apply to his life. Is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, though, 
is it your dream come true? Man, would Nebuchadnezzar's dream be our dream come true? Are you finding rest for your soul at the feet of the true king? Are we learning each day that his yoke is easy? Are we learning that his burden is light? As even in this unique season, we're seeing uh, the power and the strength and the beauty and his gentleness and kindness and his power towards us, taking our hard yokes and our heavy burdens. Will you be a citizen of this kingdom that will never end? It's our sin. It's, it's my sin. It's your sin. It's our sin that keeps us from this kingdom. But by just his grace, his mercy, his love towards us, he on the cross, his blood gains us access into his kingdom by putting our trust in him, following him, uh, perhaps for the first time today, saying like, you are my king. My life is in your hands. I want to be a part of this kingdom that never ends. And I want you to be leading me every step of the way. Put your trust in Jesus today. Um, If you have been following him for years, for decades, for weeks, um, man, there's no better time for us to, again, draw near to him abide in him, have him abide in us, and and for us to be able to bear fruit during this time, to actually thrive in these times uh, that uh, don't seem to be made for that, but following him, man, that we can be a light to our community, to our family, to our friends, that we found one who actually gives us rest for our souls. So Lord, I just ask that we would come running to you, that this week we would see in new ways how, yes, we want your kingdom, but we don't want it apart from you. We want your kingdom because you're the king, and we say, here are our lives. Use us however you want. You even tell us that you are the one that builds churches, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in our Uh, church that is not very old. We have the ancient of days at our head that is leading us, and we say yes and amen to whatever you would have for us. Lord, uh, we just thank you for your goodness in our lives. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, man, thank you so much for joining with us. It's been really, really good to gather together. We'll have the chat room open for a little bit longer, and we'll even post a link there uh, to jump into a Zoom call if you just want to say hi, and, and we can pray for each other through there as well. And so uh, so let's be praying into May 17th and us uh, what that may look like as we step into that. And man, let's like boldly live in this for, for the glory of our Savior.